welcome to the Clear to Close podcast with our hosts, local mortgage expert Ryan Bolton and Carson Jones, owner of Team Honey with Red Rock Real Estate. Ryan and Carson have the questions and answers, tips and tricks, do's and don'ts, and expert guests to help explain all the steps needed to buy or sell real estate. And now it's time for the Clear to Close podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, my name is Carson Jones, Ryan Bolton here with me. And today we're going to go through a little bit of Q&A for you. Uh, we've been getting a few questions from people, and so we wanted to just kind of get through a few of those and answer those every four or five episodes for you. So uh, what what questions do we have today, Ryan? We I think got- we've got a couple loaded up here. So let's go to our first question I thought was a pretty good one. And a lot of these questions we can take probably the entire show on. So let's see how many we can get through. But what is the number one non-financial reason to buy a home? This is submitted by Kyle S. It looks like here. Hmm. So we always talk about the financial reasons to buy a home, which makes a lot of sense. And that's why a lot of people do buy a home. But what would you say is kind of the number one non-financial reason to be a homeowner versus a renter? Yeah. I mean, it, I would say number one has got to be just freedom in general. It's got to be your number one reason. But uh, I think that changes for each person. I mean, for for myself, I mean, we have two big dogs, and there's a lot of rentals that you can't get into with mm. with, with even one one dog. And so, um, so I'd say that's probably something that I guess for me personally would be would be the biggest. Uh, non-financial reason to uh, to purchase a home is to just kind of have a little bit extra freedom and, and and not be always told what to do. Now, I know there's some HOAs that are going to be a little bit strict with you, but more often than not, even within a, a pretty hefty HOA, you're still going to be able to pretty much do whatever you'd like to do within, within your own home. You know, I had a question that was submitted uh, uh, that was kind of similar. The guy wanted to remodel his kitchen in the rental. And I'm like, well, one, why would you do that? You're yeah. you're fixing up somebody else's house. But second of all, you're just wasting money because it's not going towards your thing. You know, yeah, you get maybe a little better use out of it or something like that. But I was like, wow, that's kind of a what a waste of money. Yeah. You know, when you wouldn't. Yeah. Wh- that's why you save that money to be a homeowner, not to be a renter to fix somebody else's kitchen. But for me, I, I think if you ask my wife, she'd be the same thing. We have pets. She can't. She wouldn't live without having a dog or a, or a cat or something around the house. So having that freedom to have an animal. I mean, I know so many people in, in Southern Utah that want to rent with pets that right. can't. They're right. just so many of the property management companies just flat out say, nope, no pets allowed. Even if the homeowner will allow it, yeah. the property managers say, no, it's just too much hassle, liability, a cleaning up, you know, that type of stuff, redoing the carpet, the paint, you know, whatever you have to do with the pets. Yeah. So I, I think my, my wife would really resonate with that, that part. For me, it's always, for me, I'm always a financial kind of person having the stability of the payment. You know, it is kind of a financial reason as well, but that stability, that consistency, that knowing what your payment's always going to be, where there's so many times right now, rents just keep going up. I mean, so it is kind of a financial reason in a sense, but I think it's it's the background is the stability. Knowing what your payment is consistently every single month has a sense of confidence, the pride of home ownership, and just consistent, just knowing that, that that that's what you have to cover every month instead of worrying every time you renew your lease that the payment's going to go up. For sure. I mean, when you're investing in something that's uh, you actually own yourself, you uh, you kind of get to determine, I mean, where your money's going, you, you, and, and, and you don't have to worry that it's going to be going up at the end of your lease in a year or uh, you're, 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 you know what your payment is and you can refinance that if you ever want to, to see if you can get a lower payment and you can pay it all off and have no more payment if you right. want to. So right. uh, you can kind of decide a little bit more which, when you're renting. It's the exact same thing every month until it just goes up at some point. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's go to another question. That was an easy one, huh? We kind of got into financial reasons a little bit, but it kind of ties to both. So, okay. How much, how much do I need for a down payment? And is $10,000 enough? And this is from DB Evans. So 
that's a good question. I mean, $10,000 is one of those things that um, I think a lot of people kind of use that. With that said, you still are going to need to have extra money additionally from that $10,000. So a lot of people, they say, okay, I I have $10,000. Is that going to work? Let's say you can get a down payment for $10,000. You're still going to have to have some other money in the bank. Um, Your lender is going to want to see usually X amount of months of, of of payments pretty much stored away. They're mm-hmm. going to want to see that you actually have some money saved up. So it'd be tough to just say $10,000 in your bank account is good. With that said, there are ways to get a $10,000 uh, uh, $10, down payment. Uh, a lot of that is just going to be a, a matter of what type of loan you get. Um, with that said, I mean, what did we say the FHA um, uh, average was 6%? Yeah, so I saw a report that showed first-time home buyers, the average is about 6%. Yeah. And there's a lot of programs that require 3.5% down. I know it's weird to not have it be a round number. It's 3.5% with FHA. The next tier is 5%, and then in 5% tiers after that. Okay. So 10000 does seem like a good chunk of change to put down. But like I said, if it doesn't meet that minimum of 35 then it isn't enough for the down payment. Yeah. That's where you have to look at 100% financing options. Yeah. And like you said, we don't want to, as a lender, we don't want to see that we're taking every dime that you have to just to make the down payment. We want to see you have some money in the in the bank. It's called reserves. Typically, they want to see two to three months of whatever the new payment is in the bank. Now, this still can be 401s, retirement. It can be those types of savings accounts, not just in your day-to-day checking and savings. But that's a requirement on top of down payment. Plus, there's going to be closing costs. So to do the loan, there's going to be costs for title and underwriting, home inspection, home appraisal. There's other fees on top of your down payment that most people don't realize. So a lot of times when I have a client that has you know, five or 10 grand that they're working with, we look at 100% financing options because that money's better off in savings or reserve, and it's better off to maybe um, just pay off other debts. It goes further to pay off a credit card or, or pay down a car loan or something, changes their payment more than putting it down on a house. Like a lot of people think, okay, if I put 10 grand down on a car, my payment's gonna drop in half. Well, $10,000 on a $400,000 purchase honestly, it doesn't go that far. True. You might be saving 30 bucks a month, but you're tying up 10 grand to do it. Usually you're better off to keep your money. So is it enough for a down payment? Yes. But just consider whatever the sales price is, you know, if you take 5% of that, that's probably what you actually need to have in the bank if yeah, you're going to do yeah. a down payment. And then if you're not a first time home buyer, the average is about 13%. So because they're usually rolling equity from another home or something along those lines, right. or maybe they've been able to build up more reserve in their 401k and they can withdraw that money for a down payment. But honestly, I, a lot of times I show clients, you're better off to put a little less down, keep that money, pay off other debts. So all you have is the home loan instead of a bunch of other credit cards or well, and we were talking about that a lot during during COVID when when rates were down in the threes uh, or or even high twos at some points. I mean, we were uh, we were kind of trying to tell people like, hey, put a, give yourself a low down payment. This is pretty much free money that they've been giving away with those super super low interest rates. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so a lot of people they said, oh, well, I want to put, I mean, two hundred thousand dollars down. I said, why? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I keep that. Let's invest that in something into something else, and then uh, or buy another property, right? Mm-hmm. Buy another property with with that extra cash that you've got, because uh, the financing was so cheap that uh, it was it was is hard to kind of see a reason to put all that cash down when you only a three or three or less percent uh, right. interest rate. You might as well. 
Yeah, and that's where even with the higher rates, it makes sense to say, okay, where else can that money go? So if I put ten grand, twenty grand, a hundred thousand dollars down, but I still have car loans at ten percent, or I've got other loans that are out there, or just the security of having access to the payment. Once you put that money down, how do you get it back? Yeah, you have to sell or refinance the home to get that money back, versus having it already in savings or earning interest, especially with the interest rates also going up on the savings side. You can offset some of your payment by just using the money other places. Right. I mean, we always talk about diversification with stocks, bonds, gold, commodities, but then we put all of our money down on one. House, I mean, you can diversify that by buying more homes. You can use that to pay off other debts. You can take that money and build equity while you're building savings at the same time. So, part of my job is to look at okay, what's the best use of the down payment? Yeah, is it better to increase it, decrease it, and just sit down and show the numbers to the client? <clears throat> but you wouldn't believe how often we put less money down, even with the rates being a little bit higher, right? Because it just goes further. The money can go further other places. Right. Agreed. Let's jump to another question. Let's see what else we got. So question number three that we've got is, can I back out of a, of a, of buying a home after the home inspection? This is from Amanda. Uh, so yes, I mean, the answer, the answer is yes, but also this is going to be, it depends on, on your, uh, how, how the offer is written. And this is again, why it's important to have somebody who knows how to write an offer and, and, and make sure all these deadlines and stipulations are accurate because if you don't write an offer correctly, then honestly, you could uh, you could have deadlines that you can't really back out of your house after a week. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know how to uh, write it correctly and you have an agent who knows what they're doing, they can easily make it so that you have until, say, 30 days or more to back out of your house at no charge. Right. So more often than not, after your inspection, you're going to have a negotiating period. You're going you're gonna to be able to negotiate, okay, we have... X, Y, and Z repairs that we need to have fixed, or you could say we have these repairs are going to cost us $5,000, so we need to take $5,000 off the price, right, right? right? So, so yes, if you if that negotiation happens and then you just can't come to an agreement with, uh, I mean, between buyer and seller, then often there's times that the buyer's just saying, hey, I'm going to back out. Uh, as long as that's before the due diligence deadline, hmm. then there's no, no problem to back out. They'll get their earnest money back. With that said, if it's after the due diligence deadline, technically they cannot back out because of an inspection-related right. problem. Right. Uh, they can back out because of, say, a financing or appraisal problem before the financing and appraisal deadline, which is usually a week or two later. Uh, however, for an inspection-related reason, it has to be before that deadline. So make sure when you're writing an offer to write an offer that has the uh, that due diligence deadline probably a good two and a half to three weeks out to give you plenty of time to do all that in, in inspection work and any negotiations that are needed. And that's such an important thing. Uh, get a home inspection. I think that's one of the most important things when you're buying a house is it, just like if you're buying a car, you just drive around the block and that's it. But now you're talking about three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar investment. You want to get somebody that goes in there and, and checks every light switch, turns on every appliance, just goes through. I mean, mostly their job is to find something wrong with the house. So get a home inspection. But like you said, there's deadlines that once you pass that deadline, that can't be the reason that you're backing out of the contract without risking the earnest money. But like I said, if you get past the home inspection, so that you really just want to know the date. So if the date's Friday and you get your home inspection Thursday, it doesn't give you a lot of time. So you do want to get those things scheduled right after the contract's done. Right. And it is something that you just have, if that's the reason you're backing out, it's got to be before that deadline. So just know the deadline's in the contract. Yeah, and, and, and they will. I mean, like you said, the inspector is going to find something most of the time. And, and one thing that I learned pretty early on when I got into real estate is that um, certain buyers, certain agents, they get an inspection and then they... Uh, 
they look at that and they say, okay, well, everything on here is supposed to be repaired. But that's not the case. And right. so and so you got to know when you're buying a house. And unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of realtors out there who will recommend this to, the, to their clients is just to ask for absolutely everything to be repaired. And the purpose of an inspection is to know what you're buying. Hmm. And, and that's something that needs to be understood within the industry because uh, a lot of people, they get upset. Oh, what do you mean you're not going to fix this doorknob or, or, or whatever? Which are we going to let the doorknob be what ruins this entire deal, right? Hmm. And so... Uh, this is more to know what you're going to be purchasing. If there's a major item on the inspection, of course, that's something. Okay, we need to have this addressed either with a, a decrease in the in the price or with uh, an actual repair by by somebody who's licensed to repair that. And that's uh, a great point because it's something I've never I haven't seen a single report that doesn't have something wrong. Every house yeah, has something uh, yeah, wrong, but it can be as yeah. simple as yeah, the door doesn't shut correctly, right. or a tile is broken on the roof, you know, something like that. It's not really affecting the integrity of the entire roof, but there's the tiles cracked or something and, like that. And, and either it, of those are going to be enough for for buyers to say, oh, well, we have to get this repaired. Otherwise we can't buy this house. And unfortunately there's uh you kind of have to get to the point of knowing that, okay, this is just t- telling us what we're buying. We have $500 or so that we're going to need to maybe do a little bit of fix ups here once mm-hmm. we get into it. And that's it. Yeah. And I see, I think every home inspe- uh, home inspector in Southern Utah has the same little template of, of the, the little um, pest control, little rubber things that go around the doors because it gets really hot here. They kind of mm. shrink and grow. And that, that's on every report. I've always seen the little yeah. you know, little rubber thing under the door, the little pest control thing is always just needs to be replaced. It's yeah. like the most common thing. And then a broken tile. Yeah. We have a lot of tile roofs in Southern Utah and you'll get hail, you'll get birds, you'll get rot, you know, whatever that kind of just cracks those tiles. But it's not like it's affecting or making the roof leak or something along those lines. But like you said, the home inspections is designed to kind of show you what is wrong with the home, find out if there is something major that you're walking into, like leaking or electrical plumbing, that's something that really does need to be addressed. But a lot of times, do you see it's more common where people do the price reduction or the sellers just fix it? What do you what are you seeing on your side? So that's a good that's a really good question. And, and honestly, I think it's uh, it, it's gotten to the point where, where a lot of the time sellers are wanting the, the, the or buyers are wanting the seller to fix it because uh, it, it, sometimes maybe it's an old single lady buying it. And she says, "Oh well, I don't, I, I don't have the manpower to, to go and fix that mm. myself." However, if I, if if you're working with me as as your buyer's agent, I am always going to recommend you to ask for a price reduction instead. Mm. And here's the reason: so if you have, let's say you have a uh, a water heater that needs replaced, or maybe you have a few other a few other little things that, that are going to need repaired around the house, I would much rather as a buyer do those either myself or hire whoever I want mm. to, to, to get those repaired. If I say, okay, seller, I want you to uh, make these repairs yourself. The seller has no interest in the home after it sells. So the seller is going to just get this done as cheap as humanly possible. Sometimes they'll just do a little DIY project to get it done just so it says, hey, we did it, mm. right? Mm. And, and and so I always am recommending to say, as long as long as it's not something that is just a very quick little, I mean, quick little fix, either do it yourself as a buyer, uh, or and, well, and with that said, ask for some sort of a, a, of a price reduction for that repair so you can do it later on uh, and hire whoever you want. Because really, if you're if you're letting the seller do it, then there's no real in, interest in in making it perfect like you're going to want to if if you're the homeowner. Yeah, and, I, and I've seen times where 
it's at the end of its life. You know, it's not broken like a water heater. You know, it's they only last, well, I think it's like 10 years maybe, depending on yeah. the size and the type of water heater that it is. So you'll see on the reports, they'll say, well, this is at the end of its life expectancy. It's still working, still functioning. Yeah. And then you'll say, well, I want that replaced. And then the sellers are like, no, it works. Uh, that's where a home warranty can kick in, which is different than home insurance. It's a warranty to kind of cover some of those big, heavy right. items, uh, refrigerators and, and garbage disposals and even air conditioners and stuff like that. Yeah. So you start seeing that's a, a good way for the seller to say, okay, I'm not going to replace something that's broken, but how about a warranty that covers everything in the house that could break that's a little bit cheaper for both of us? And I, I would say in Utah, especially more than Nevada and some of the other states I've worked in, home warranties are worked in a little bit more often, again, right. just as a catch-all for anything that, that does at the end of its life expectancy. But I still think it's important to get a home inspection, whether it's an old home or a new home, because just making sure that everything is functioning, everything that's really major, it does give you an opportunity to go back if there is something wrong, get it fixed. But I agree with you, having the seller fix it usually is the cheapest way they can do it. They get a handyman, they don't get somebody, they duct tape it, that type of thing, versus actually wait until it's fully broken. But going into the deal, eyes wide open is why a home inspection is so important. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's jump to one more question. We've got about eight minutes left on the show time, so let's do this one. Uh, what is the best way to get a home loan with bad credit? Submitted by Nate C. I get this question a lot, obviously, on the lending side, and I always I always kind of question and say, well, why is, why is the credit bad? And really, do you get the same loan as somebody with good credit? You know, if you've got a 500 credit score and somebody has a 700 credit score, there should be a difference in loans. There should be a difference in interest rates. There should be differences there. So I always kind of say, why is the credit bad? Now, if it's bad because of medical collection, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why people have bad credit. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, it's better to work on that to get a better loan than it is just to take the only loan that will fit that credit profile. Yeah. So knowing why the credit is bad, I think, is one of the better ways to get. And, and I've had clients that we sit down and they're like a 620 or 619, just below that 620 score. It's amazing how many little things we can do to get you to 660. And a lot of it's just rebudgeting, knowing how credit works, paying down some credit cards, and actually start paying off the negative things that you did when you were stupid and a kid and got too many credit cards or yeah. just gave back your phone to T-Mobile and they put a $1,000 collection on your account or something like that. Yeah. You know, it, it just some of it is knowing how the score works and knowing what we can do to get the score up a little bit so you get a better loan instead of just taking the only loan that's out there. Yeah, I think some people look at it as they say, oh, well, I just want to buy a house. But there are steps to it, and and and, and financial stability is one of them. And and, and trust me, I mean, there, you, you don't have to make $180,000 a year to, be, to buy a home. Uh, with that said, you can't make... Sixty thousand dollars a year and spend one hundred yeah. and sixty, and and I think that's that that's the catch there is because if you get a lot of people and of course they want they they want the nicest things possible even when they can't afford it right yeah. and so um, so once you once people can kind of figure out all right we've got. We have credit cards. Maybe we've got a total. We've got our American Express or Capital One card, and and uh, it, all in all, we've got about thirty thousand dollars in credit, right? Uh, but and maybe you've got about sixteen thousand of that thirty thousand that you've actually spent and, and have have debt on right now. Well, we're going to have to look at that, and then we have to look at your debt to income ratios from there. We have to look at your car payments, and and, and unfortunately, there are going to be times there that we just say, "I'm sorry," because your credit score is this amount, right. you're, you're not going to be able to get a loan right now. And if we can get you to that point, 
hey, your interest rate is going to be going up. You're going to have higher fees. Mm-hmm. So, so it's it is important. And honestly, it's not even so much for the lender, and it's more for the for the buyer. I mean, you don't want to get into a loan, especially as interest rates are higher. That's just so out of this world high in all these fees that let's say in a year from now you're out of all that credit card debt or even six months if you wait and get out and get out of some of that debt and use it towards towards something better suddenly your loan terms are going to be a mile better and uh you don't have to worry about getting into that really rough loan right at the beginning yeah and just take some discipline with it we're such a microwave society if we decide we want now or a lease is expiring and i can't tell you many times i have a client that calls me up and say my lease is expiring at the end of the month, I need to go buy a house. Yeah. You're giving yourself such a short window to work on things like credit or budgeting or down payment or whatever that it is, that if you just have a little bit more time to talk with a lender, see where your credit's at, see where you can improve it, you, there's amazing how much you can give yourself 90 days, give True. yourself six, you know, six months, give yourself a little bit more of a window and you'll just get a better loan. And credit score is tied to everything now, employment, insurance, like your homeowner's insurance is going to be different with your credit score. Possible job applications are going to be different based on your credit yeah. score. I mean, this thing's morphed into almost everything when it comes to credit because that score shows a history of how you managed your debt. And too many times people think, well, I had a 30-day late or I just let something go or I didn't get the bill in the mail so I don't have to make the payment. They come up with these excuses that really hurt their credit and then they just kind of bury their head in the sand and don't worry about it. Right. Then all of a sudden when they do need the credit for the car loan or the home or something like that, now all of a sudden they've got this score that just isn't isn't showing their true history. Right. Or they'll say, well, hey, I had a 30-day late you know, six months ago, but I've made every payment since then. Realize it's a longer history than that. They really want to know what's the likelihood this person's going to make the payment back. Have they made their payments on the simplest of debts? If they keep missing a $20 payment, a $30 payment, a $100 payment, something like what that, now we're going to do it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, now housing's a little different, rent's a little different. That's something you more likely you're going to miss the payments on that before you right. start missing the payments on a car loan or, you know, there's like tiers of what goes default first. Yeah. Yeah. But it is something where, these are things you need to be thinking about now, especially if you know your lease is going to expire. This is the time to start looking at credit, start looking at budgets, start kind of figuring out what you qualify for. Then you'll also be ready when your home does show up on the market. You know, you don't want to be something where you're not ready and yet the home you really want shows up, then you you can't get the loan or the loan you get's a 1% higher interest rate or something like that. So, so what, spending time really makes a big difference. You're very much an expert in credit and, and how what it's going to take for somebody to actually get approved for a loan. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let me ask you, I mean, a, a, maybe a question that I might have, say, if I'm going to buy a house is what... A, what would would you say is like a minimum credit score that you may need uh, to, to really get approved for a house? And then B, like what, uh, how much can say, okay, let's say you miss a payment on, on a credit card, right? How much can that realistically bring your score down? That was a really good question. So uh, what do you think the average is in Utah? The average, average credit, credit score? score? Yep. That's a good, oh, I... I'll just say 650. 683, 683 in Utah. That was the last last time they reported it. The worst state's Nevada. I think they're down to like 662. Okay. So if you're below that, you're below average. If you're above it, you're above average. So we hear these scores, I have a 700 score. I've, I've had people say I've got a 900 score, which is actually doesn't exist. But <laughs> it's something where when you get over 740, you're in that top tier. That's yeah. some of the top tier. So anything under 680, you're below average. So think of that the average person. If you're under that, 
you're below that. So yeah. it's something where that's almost like a marker to say, I want to get above average. So right. that's right. one number there. Uh, but a lot of loans will go down to about 620. As soon as you get under that, the rates and terms, down payment requirements really start getting worse. But honestly, if you can get over 680, that's where better stuff starts to kick in. Other programs open up. Like there's some that just don't go below a right. 680 credit score. Right. Or if they do, there's hits for it or so much. You have to switch to a different program, which requires higher mortgage insurance or something to offset your risk. So interest rate insurance, it's all based on risk. The more you can minimize the risk, the better your rates and terms. Credit score is one of those risks. Like you talked about debt ratio, other things factor in, loan to value, down payment. But score is such a big factor mm. that even if you have a million in the bank and you got to make a million dollars a month, but you have a 500 credit score, it'll still drag you down more than the reverse. Having lower income, but a higher credit score can help you. Um, so the next thing, lates. That's a big part of your credit history, especially the more recent the late is or the more recent the credit collection or judgment yeah. or whatever that it is. Yeah. So how much does it affect your score is based on what other debts that you have out there. But you can see a big 50 to 100 point drop just within the first month of mm. that late. As you distance yourself from it, that's where you'll see your score start to go up. But always kind of hit a ceiling until you kind of deal with those collections, deal with those charge offs, deal with what it is. Now, sometimes yeah. people... Interest gets added to those things as well. So maybe it's a collection for 500 bucks. You might end up owing 1000 bucks if you just let it go. Yeah, yeah. When you're just better off to just deal with it, get it resolved, get it paid, and start working on building the credit file. Well, and in the end, I mean, a lot of those companies, I mean, it, let's say you just stop paying altogether. Did some of these credit cards end up suing you for it? or right. It depends on the amount. A lot of times yeah. they'll just let it sit there. A collection company might buy it. It'll just kind of sit there and always just kind of keep your score mm -hmm. down. And every time you pull your credit, you got to explain the stupid thing. Yeah. You know, that's what I, and I can tell when I talk to clients about, it, they've had kind of a pre-done story about how they had to deal with the, like I said, T-Mobile, they, or some <laughs> equipment they never turned back yeah. in or yeah. a rental agreement. There's always going to be an excuse with it. I'm not saying that all the people that have the debts are, are angels by any means, but at the same time, you just have to say, you know what, it's just better to get it resolved. So I don't have to yeah. explain it every single time I pull my credit report. <laughs> well, thanks so much for watching. Uh, send us more questions. We'd love to do another Q&A yeah. here soon. And uh, we'll be back with an episode probably next week. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So really appreciate the show. We got it out on every every audio system that's out there. We've got it on YouTube. So it's been really fun. And it's really great to have uh, these questions come in. So you can submit a question to us. We'll get to them on another show. Okay. Thanks again, everyone. Hey, great show again, as always. Thanks, producer guy. You betcha. <laughs>